This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to Warden's Watch Wild, where we talk to wildlife professionals. Brought to you by the Village Gun Store, Whitefield, New Hampshire. I'm your host, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch Wild. And we're back with Jill Kilborn, New Hampshire Fishing Game, on Warden's Watch Wild. And this time, we are going to talk about, I want to say the Canadian lynx, but now I'm like, is it can- like the goose, you know, it's the Canada <laughs> goose, but it is the Canadian lynx, right? I, yeah, I believe Canadian. Is, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I mean, that just threw me there because I just went to about to talk <laughs> about the Canadian lynx. And I'm like, wait a second, is it the Canada lynx? Or, <laughs> or Canada, no, no actually, it, yeah. I think, but when I hear lynx, it's usually Canadian lynx. So, yeah. and maybe I just call the, it lynx. Yeah, <laughs> let's but go with it that. Is the proper North American term though just lynx? Lynx canadensis. So, so it is has yeah. a little bit of Canada in there. Yeah. So somewhere. So there you go. Yeah. So e- e- either way, I, I, like I said, you think you're right, and certainly our lynx population is right on that border with Canada. Yes. Yes. It's, 
fascinating. I, uh, you know, being able to work the border patrol up there and working the border, I know I reached out to you on several times to, you know, let you know where I saw tracks and things like that in the snow. Yeah. And uh, you guys actually did a lot of work up there with our good friend Alex A, who hopefully will be on this show as well. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Yeah. So Alex A got done with his work uh, on Martin that we were working with him and him and I had many long trips of riding in the truck where we would have discussions and like pie in the sky things that we wanted to do. And mm. links often came up. Uh, Alex A did some work in Maine mm. when they were doing the original research back in the early 2000s on links. And so we both kind of got our brains together and decided that we wanted to try and do something with links in New Hampshire. And at the same time as those discussions were happening, uh, ironically, we were starting to getting more occurrences of links mm. in New Hampshire. So um, it was probably in the, oh, 2010 kind of range. We started getting people seeing links tracks in different places, photos of links. It was just as trail cameras were kind of switching over from um, a lot of film mm-hmm. and the expense of dealing with film cameras. Well, that was a game changer. To when it really became digital. Mm. And that's when, you know, trail cameras really took off. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Alex A and I kind of started to tackle figuring out a way to deploy cameras throughout where we thought links could be in northern mm. New Hampshire. Um, and it kind of snowballed and ended up being his PhD work um, yeah. that he just got done with here in the past past year or so. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool animal and very, again, habitat uh, specific, food specific. Exactly. So 99% of the lynx's diet is made up of snowshoe hair. So wherever you have snowshoe hair populations is, uh, or snowshoe hair populations dense enough to support a lynx population is where lynx will pop up. Mm-hmm. And so that was another component of Alexei's work was not only figuring out where the lynx were, but also figuring out what the snowshoe hair densities were and whether they could support lynx in the different places uh, in northern New Hampshire. We did some work in the Whites, uh, where we deployed a bunch of cameras in the high elevation forests of the Whites, and then also did some pellet counts, specifically for snowshoe hair. So you go Mm -hmm. out and you count the number of pellets in a certain area, and depending on the number of pellets you find, determines the density of snowshoe hair at that location. Okay. So we did that in the Whites, and then we did it in another location in in Vermont, and then we did it in the very northern tip of the state up in in Pittsburgh, um, in some of our, our softwood forests up there to figure out what the densities were and sure enough snowshoe hair densities weren't high enough in the white mountain national forest but they were up in pittsburgh to support lynx and Mm. lo and behold that's where our biggest population of lynx we feel like is is up in that northern tip of the state did you ever document any lynx in the white mountain national forest we did so we actually got a couple photos and a couple of our cameras and then we had a couple reports that came in of people that found tracks but they were never on a consistent basis like we were getting in other portions where we knew we had snowshoe hair density so are those lynx traveling to get food there probably working their way through uh Finding small populations of hair, but never, like, it seems like consistently staying in those locations. It was just more of a movement through. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Thinning out the hairs and then, uh, then moving on when food yeah. gets scarce. Uh, links naturally, I think, especially when you get bumps in the population where you get lots of individuals. You'll get animals that are kind of ranging out and expanding um, the distribution of that population. So probably 
partly that or animals that are just searching for new new habitat so mm-hmm. working their way through and when they find a pocket then they'll hunker down in that pocket and then when we did find those populations can you guesstimate a population in northern new hampshire or was it i mean did, did it, it i mean they don't know borders they don't know that if they're heading to canada they're heading to maine they're heading to vermont in exactly. that country it's so close there they can be in every place there you know i i tend not to try and make population guesses (laughs) guesstimates (laughs) because when i tried to do it for for martin um working with alex a again on his on his master's work you know i said we had a certain number on the in the area where he was doing his work and he doubled essentially Uh. (laughs) (laughs) the numbers that we had there but yeah i think the biggest thing to know whether or not we have them is whether or not we're seeing young Mm. Um, and we have documented that in quite a few locations in New Hampshire where we actually have an adult lynx traveling with two, three kittens mm. on the cameras. And that, I think, is the better indication of whether or not the population is here and, right. and how consistently they're using an area. Right. And once we documented the population, then we took some restrictions with trapping and things like that, correct? Exactly. So once we we figured that we had a consistent population, we created like a lynx exclusion zone to minimize the risk of catching a lynx in a trapper's trap. And specifically the body gripping traps are the ones that we're most concerned about because those are the ones that would kill a lynx Mm -hmm. if it was to actually stick its head in one of its trap, those traps. So in the northern part of the state, essentially from the White Mountain National Forest north through Pittsburgh. Um, We have restrictions that the trappers have to have their traps up off the ground. Um, I think it's uh, above five feet off the ground on a a pole that uh, under a certain diameter that a lynx is less likely to to climb up. And these are are restrictions that have been tested and are used in Maine because they have similar issues in Maine and a much bigger lynx population over in Maine. Mm. Yeah. Oh, very, very interesting. And lynx and bobcats, do they interact? Um, do you, you not find them in the same areas or do you? Or Yeah, typically they, they kind of separate themselves on kind of a habitat kind of basis. Um, again, you know, bobcats are not built for deep snow kind of northern conditions. Um, mm-hmm. So their feet are pretty small and they tend to punch through the snow and have a really hard time when you get those sneak deep snow conditions like as you know as a warden dealing with people having bobcats coming to chicken coops and things mm. like that in the winter time or showing up under a bird feeder it's really when those snow conditions get so bad that they they have a hard time hunting and they can't get the food that they need in the winter time lynx on the other hand super big feet they're built like a giant snowshoe hare <laughs> yeah. if you look at their rear legs and they're just built for cruising on top of the snow and hunting snowshoe hare so in those deep winter conditions they actually uh, outcompete bobcat and can actually do quite well in those conditions yeah i remember i took a, a photo of what i thought was a lynx track and i sent it to will stats one of our other biologists and he's like yeah no bobcat so, and then when I saw a lynx track for the first time, I was like, oh, wow. my goodness. <laughs> Talk about having a snowshoe on your foot. I yeah. mean, it, it's an incredibly big track that lets them float on top of the snow, designed for that. So, I, I get it once I saw it, but it, it took that long to see one. Yeah. And then... And I'm like, wow, that that's that's a lynx track, and I'll have to post something so people can see the difference because yeah. it's amazing. I have I have some photos I can definitely share with you, but awesome. the, the thing that kind of telltale for me is in not 
always the track shows this, but it often looks like a snow snow cone or like a ice cream cone. So you get like that big kind of puffy foot in the front, and mm-hmm. then it's almost like the back part of their foot that registers in the track. So it looks like a ice cream cone kind of nice. in the snow type. Yeah, thing. no, yeah. I've never made that correlation, but we'll definitely have to look at that. So. Yeah, very very neat animals. Very minor population compared to other things in the in the state for sure. Yeah, uh, threatened in the state of New Hampshire. So they're they're state endangered state in New endangered. Hampshire, but federally threatened. So okay. it is one of the only uh, mammals that we have that's federally listed as mm. well in New Hampshire. Yeah, it's got protections at both levels. At the federal level, they've started to consider potentially delisting lynx mm-hmm. um, because, as you know, the population in Maine seems to be doing quite well and actually yeah. much better than anybody thought after they did the research back in the, the 2000s, early 2000s. But there's a bunch of distinct populations across the country, and so they have to consider all those populations in that listing process. So they're kind of in the... The process of trying to establish goals for those different populations. Mm-hmm. Then they have to assess whether they're meeting those goals before they can actually make that delisting decision. Right. And probably in New Hampshire, we are a long ways away from doing something like that because of habitat, right? Well, yeah. So our population of lynx is at the, we're at the very southern extent of lynx distribution. So we're never going to have like a huge population of lynx here in New Hampshire. We're going to see them when we have the appropriate habitat. So Mm -hmm. if we have a bunch of young regenerating really dense softwood so spruce and fir stands that are supporting a bunch of snowshoe hair then that's when we're going to see lynx on our landscape if our forests mature we lose those densities of snowshoe hair then there's no reason for the lynx to stay here they're going to want to like move on to other places where they can actually find the food that they they depend on so heavily so um yeah it's really maintaining that habitat on our landscape to maintain that species and i think if the lynx got delisted federally then you know we'd look at where we'd want to put it on our state we'd establish something some kind of quota or yeah so or bar where we want where our expectation is for the the species in the state if we have a a federally listed species it's automatically put on our state list if it's not federally listed then we have a whole uh, system for evaluating how to put species on the state state list i think that's interesting because i don't think a lot of people understand that there's the state can list them and the federal government can list them so exactly you always hear about the endangered species list it's usually on a federal level not on a state level exactly where you know i'll use the martin for example that large populations in maine uh trapped harvested new hampshire not not so yeah formally listed listed for a very long time Mm -hmm. never listed in maine so yeah two very different scenarios but Mm -hmm. same species very close populations and the same research that went into martin would go into links in order to establish those types of things exactly and that's that's the responsibility of our non-game and endangered species program that's part of the the fishing game department as they kind of think about all those species and those interrelations and yeah. how it works yep. and, and working with these species like lynx i mean that's it, it's tricky because a they are pretty remote i remember you know when, when you leave the office you get a good hour and a half two hour ride and then you get on a snowmobile yeah to go out to to look at these cameras to maintain them i know one time i had the border patrol they caught some lynx on cameras and i'm like send those to jill kilborn and they sent them and you were all excited that you had some more documentation and they were all excited that they could help participate in the research yeah so. yeah and it was always fun because uh 
we'd run into the border patrol cameras and get buzzed by the, the helicopter every once in a while or get a random phone call from somebody who's like, oh, you went by this camera. And we're yeah. like, yep, that was us. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. So, no. And working in that environment, that's just a, a cool when we start reaching up to our northern part of the state because it is a different world yeah. that links live in. Yeah, and it's a remote part of the state, which is really, really cool part of the mm. state to work in. And just like you said, it's not an easy task to get out there and uh, do some of this stuff because it's it's definitely takes a little bit more thought and effort to get out to some of those locations for sure. Yeah, and so. mechanical, if the snowmobile breaks down, you're probably done for the day. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Just getting that out of there is the project. We've and had a few recovery missions. Yeah, <laughs> a, 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 absolutely. So I want people to know that all the, the hard work that goes into this research and stuff. And, yeah. Uh, just, uh, it's exciting work. Uh, I've watched you through your career and with the Martin and with the Lynx and everything, and I'm always excited excited to, to learn what you've learned. So. Well, we also appreciate all of the collaboration because just like you said, some of those border patrol sightings <laughs> were really important for where we decided to put cameras. So it was yeah. a great relationship and we appreciate that as well. Oh, that's cool. Well, so. thanks for taking some time and uh, talking about the, the lynx population here in northern New Hampshire and uh, lynx in general too. And now I'm going to have to look up their official names though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ask Alex, I'm sure he knows. I'm sure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to Warden's Watch Wild, where we talk to wildlife professionals. Brought to you by the Village Gun Store, Whitefield, New Hampshire. I'm your host, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch Wild. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6'8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.